We are asked over and over again, how do you find the right phone numbers for the properties you're trying to buy? It is pretty simple. You skip trace the owner and property address. What does that mean? What does skip trace mean? It means you go and find the contact information of the owner of a property. But you don't want to do that one time. Real estate is a numbers game and a people business. You need to work a lot of leads to find motivated sellers. We use an awesome skip trace service that you can upload a giant list of names and addresses all at once, and a few minutes later, you have a ton of phone numbers for prospecting. Visit www.dpipodcast.com forward slash skip trace. Welcome to the Discount Property Investor Podcast, where we show you how to buy real estate at a discount so you can create wealth over time and income today. Our mission is to share what we have learned from the experience of others and help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate, the discount property investor way. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Today, I am flying solo. It's been difficult for Dave and I to get in the studio together and record because we have so much going on. So much exciting is happening in the company, and uh, we want to share some of that with you guys, uh, as well as keep getting the word out there about uh, how to get started investing in real estate. If you're a first-time listener, please go back and check out the free wholesale course. You can find that at www.freewholesalecourse.com. Again, that's freewholesalecourse.com. There we put together an entire course that shows you how to get started in wholesaling. We've got everything you need to get started. Uh, if you haven't checked out the podcast before, we also cover a lot of the basics in the first 10 episodes. That's a great supplement to the course. So go check those things out. It's going to give you guys everything you need to get started in wholesaling or investing in real estate with little to no money. Basically, the wholesale way. Uh, another thing, exciting thing we've got coming up internally is our REI Traction event. So on November 4th, it's coming up uh, next weekend actually, we put together a group of, uh, well ourselves and others, uh, that are going to host the event to share uh, basically the basics of real estate investing. And the idea behind it is helping people who have heard about real estate investing decide exactly what it is they want to do. So we cover the three kind of uh, main areas of real estate investing. That is uh, wholesaling, uh, Dave and myself and Ray are gonna be covering that. Uh, then we've got an expert on flipping and we're gonna be talking with, uh, I think Tim Grimmett is gonna be hosting that section. And then uh, landlording and Bill Merritt, our partner is gonna be talking about that one. So we're talking about, again, the three main ways to get started in real estate, and we want to help people figure out exactly how to get started. So again, if you haven't checked that out, uh, we'd love to see you guys again next weekend, November 4th. Uh, it is here in St. Louis at Spazio's. You can register at reitraction.com. It's going to be a great event. We're really looking forward to that and uh, doing more of those. So again, really, really hope that uh, we see a lot of you guys there. Uh, last bit of housekeeping here, we've got a, and I don't know if we've ever really announced this on the podcast, we put together a, an app for the Discount Property Investor podcast, so it's a little bit easier to listen to, uh, and that is available for free in the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store, so you can download that for whatever device you have, Android or, or Apple. 
uh, go ahead and download the Discount Property Investor Podcast app. And that way it'll keep you up to date on all the episodes. All right, so today, again, I wanted to delve into a Q&A. And this is one of my favorite things, uh, sharing knowledge with people. It's one of my, I know Dave's favorite things too, so he's a little bummed he can't be here this morning. Uh, but I'm gonna answer a couple of the most common questions that we get, or some pretty common questions that we get. So I'm gonna glance down at my notes here. Okay, so how do I find owners when I'm doing driving for dollars? All right, so what is driving for dollars first off? If you haven't heard of that, well, driving for dollars is a great way to locate distressed properties. So you're out and driving around in decent neighborhoods, but it looks like a property may be abandoned or, um, you know, it's just, it looks like it's in distress, like the owners aren't able to maintain it. So you write those addresses down. So how do you find those addresses? The easiest way, it, or to find the owners rather, the easiest thing to do is to go and look in your county assessor's office and here in St. Louis, it's very easy. I mean, you could probably Google the county assessor, so type in your county and then assessor. It's going to pop right up. And in St. Louis, we've got a really great system. Type in the property address. It gives you a whole bunch of data about it. The county is different than the city. Uh, the county is really, really good. Uh, but all of them have all the information readily available. And in there, you're going to find the owner of record, so it's the person who's listed as the owner of that property, as well as their mailing address, and that's huge. So then what most people do is take that property and that address, and they mail them a letter. So you'd start with the yellow letter. So again, how do you find the owner's address, or how do you find the owners of driving for dollars? Uh, basically go look on the county records. It's public record, public information. Uh, one step further on that would be take a um, a little bit more time with it and you can skip trace the owner so again you go to the county's record the county records you find the owner's name then you go to another website we use Intellis uh, here pretty pretty heavily uh, it's a great service very inexpensive uh, but you can also just google the name uh, there's a whole bunch of places you can use Facebook uh, it's another way that we track down owners uh, so you look up the owner's name and you just try to get a hold of that person again and if you find the phone number that's better than uh, sending the direct mail it's a little bit more work but again your whole intent of sending that letter is to get that person on the phone so if you can go one step further take a little bit more time find that person's phone number and dial 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 until you get a hold of them well then you've already accomplished your goal is getting a hold of that owner so started to digress a little bit but that's uh how you would go about finding the owners of properties when you're driving for dollars. Uh, oh, and I, I glossed over the easiest one. Uh, you can go and knock on the door of that property. They might be living there uh, if it's not completely derelict, you know. Or you can go and talk to the neighbors. It's another great way. Uh, I actually just went on an appointment yesterday where I drove up and I was a little bit early, so I circled around and I saw a property that had uh, the, the grass was pretty tall and there was a sign on there that said it was um, uh, condemned. So I knew that you know it wasn't nobody was living there. So I got out and I took a picture and someone came up to me and said, hey, how's it going? And I said, oh, hello, my name's Mike. I'm uh, you know looking to buy a house down the street. She says, oh, yeah, you're supposed to meet me over there. And it was actually the owner of the property I was gonna meet. She lived on the street and she knew about that one. So I'm gonna be trying to buy uh, both properties on that street. So again, the neighbors are a great source of information as well. Next question, okay, and this is one we just got from one of our students, is 
if you put together a list or you buy a list and you get the same owner, the same mailing address on the list 10, 15 times, should you mail that person for each individual property? So again, say they own 123 Main Street and their mailing address is uh, you know, X. Well, then they also have 128 Main Street and that mailing address is still X. So it's the same person, you know it's the same person. Should you mail that person two letters saying I want to buy this property and I want to buy this property? Uh, my philosophy, my personal philosophy is you don't need to mail them two letters. I would recommend changing your direct mail piece just a little bit to say, hey, uh, dear, dear Mr. Owner, I'm interested in buying your property at 123 Main Street or any other properties you might own. And again, that puts that seed in their head that you are a property buyer and you're looking for properties in that area. It's not necessarily just that property you wanna own. The flip side of that is the, the owners probably know the game. Uh, chances are they've gotten direct mail from somebody else before and they know that you're an investor looking to buy a property. So 90% of the time, if it's a multi-property owner, they've gotten these letters before. So it's not, uh, it's not news to them that you're an investor trying to pick up a property. Uh, on the flip side, some people would say, well, maybe uh, mailing them, uh, you know, if you keep all 10 addresses on your mailing list and you're rotating through, you're gonna mail them a lot more. And you may be the one that they call when they decide they're ready to sell a property. So again, there's two sides to that coin. Again, we have a pretty uh, developed direct mail system uh, that does the follow-up for us pretty frequently. So I wouldn't recommend it. I say, once you have that mailing address dialed in and you know you're, you're mailing that person, I wouldn't recommend mailing multiple uh, just because they own multiple properties. All right, next question. So where do I get a proof of funds? Okay, and this is a kind of a funny one I think I've seen on a lot of the groups is where do I get a proof of funds? You know, I'm going out and, you know, Dave and I probably talked about this in a past episode about credibility packets. And the conversation on that part would have been, don't worry about putting a proof of funds in there. Put together your credibility packet, put a uh, contract together, uh, put the comps together, just kind of how you came up with the offer, and a little bit about you, business card, put it in a nice folder, and that's going to be enough credibility. The proof of funds, yes, it is going to help you stand out. There are services out there that can provide you with a proof of funds for, again, it just depends, a couple hundred bucks a year. But honestly, if you're not able to close on that property, why get that proof of funds? To me, it's somewhat deceitful. And until you actually can have your own bank statement with the proof of funds on it, or the uh, line of credit or something in that capacity that says that you've got the ability to buy the house, um, it, it's, yeah, again, my intent when we go out and look at a property and put a contract on it, it's always to close on that property. Uh, it may be a double closing, so we may be selling it off, but again, we always plan to close on the properties when we put them under contract. I mean, that is our, our absolute goal. So the proof of funds, you can go out there and you can get them. Uh, do I recommend it? Not necessarily, I don't think it's necessary uh, to even even come up with it to, uh, I mean, again, just go out there, start doing some marketing, get started. If that, That's not gonna be the difference between you and the next guy. If you're able to, um, find a truly motivated seller, you're gonna be able to get that property under contract. All right, so how much should I offer? And this one is kind of funny, because again, a lot of people, they say, okay, I've got this MAO formula, the maximum allowable offer, 
and I know that I got to buy at a 70% discount rate or 80% discount rate, uh, meaning you take the the after repaired value of the house, multiply it by that discount rate. So say it's an 80% area. So you take 100,000, multiply by 0.8, and you come up with 80,000. Then you'd subtract your repairs and your wholesale fee. So let's say it's another five and another five. So then your maximum allowable offer would be 70,000 in that case. Again, you take your ARV, so call it 100,000, times the, the discount rate, say it's 80%, minus the $5,000 for repairs and 5,000 for a wholesale fee. So you get to 70,000. So 70,000 is your maximum allowable offer. So the question is, how much should I offer? Should I offer that 70,000 upfront or should I offer something less? Well, again, I think that's totally uh, dependent on the situation. You absolutely have to build some rapport with the seller and determine what is right in that situation. But my recommendation is always go in under that. So if your maximum allowable offer, again, just think about what those words mean. It's the maximum allowable offer. So it's the maximum amount that you're allowed to offer on a property and it still be a deal. Well, you don't want to start your negotiation right there. I mean, if you think about that for a second, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you're not going to be able to go back and forth and counter if you've already started at your maximum allowable offer. So there's a great book. Uh, Dave introduced me to it. Uh, called Never Split the Difference, and he talks about, the author of that book rather, talks about the Ackerman Method, and it talks about a whole bunch of negotiation techniques. So you start off in, in this case, let's say we'd start off at 60000 and then they would counter whatever, and we would say, okay, well, we can push up to uh, 67000 or 65000 so you, you've upped 5,000, then their counter negotiates and go back and forth, and they say, well, I need 69. Well, then you come back at a, a smaller increase than last time. You really cut it in half. So instead of going up 5,000, then come up another 2,500. So you started out at 60, then you offer your counter offer at 65, keep going back and forth, then you counter offer at 67.5. So again, you, you end up at something at or below your maximum allowable offer and that's again I think the best way to proceed with negotiation so again how much should I offer it's always less than your maximum allowable offer that's again my suggestion uh, but again it's always dependent on the circumstance so again if you know you're in a multi-offer situation there's other wholesalers involved you've got to read the situation and you have to um, you know play, play the situation play the hand that you're dealt so all right, what is a double close? So the next question is, what is a double close? And this is one that you see all the time from new investors because it is, it's a little scary. You think, oh man, buying a house is an expensive proposition and I don't have the $100,000 to go out and close on this property and then resell it to my investor for $110,000. I don't have $100,000 sitting in my bank account right now. How do I do that? Well, the answer is the double close. And the double close is pretty simple, but it's not something you have to know. So you're gonna find an investor-friendly title company and they're gonna do the paperwork for you. I'll explain it uh, like this. Uh, the title company is your best friend in this situation they are the ones who are experienced handling this and they're gonna set everything up. They're gonna coordinate the 
uh, C buyer coming in to close first. And again, by close, I mean fund the transaction and sign their paperwork. So they're signing a purchase contract. Then you're going to come in and you're going to sign your um, purchase agreement. So one set of closing documents. Then you're going to sign your sales agreement. So another set of closing documents. Then the original seller comes in and they sign their sales agreement or their, their HUD-1 or settlement statement to sell the property. So again, there's two sets of closing paperwork, but the title company manages it all and they use the C buyer's funds to fund your original purchase and then to pay you. So you don't need to worry about all the details as long as you found a good title company that can help you out. So ask someone in your market, hey, who are you using to do your wholesales when you're out there networking? Or again, just Google it. Just look for investor-friendly title companies, call them and ask them if they can do a dry-funded double close. And if they know what you're talking about, great. If they don't know what you're talking about, move on to the next one. Uh, one caveat with that, make sure you're talking to one of the closers or closing coordinators at the title company and not just the receptionist. Uh, it is kind of important because they may not be as familiar with what is happening as some of the other closers are. And just because you've called or you've talked to one closer at a title company doesn't mean that the title company can't do it. They just may not be familiar with it. So definitely uh, check around and get the uh, contact details of a closer that you know someone else in the market is using and that's going to save you a ton of time. So a double close, what is it? How do you do it? Uh, it's pretty straightforward and it happens all the time. Uh, the other type of closing that can happen is an assignment and in that case you actually are assigning your interest in a contract and that goes over to contract law. So you are originally a party of the contract between yourself and the seller but then you assign your interest in that contract over to your end buyer and you are no longer a party to that contract. So the end buyer just goes in and closes it and the original seller goes in and closes it. So there's just really those two sets of docs at that point. The title company then pays you the assignment fee that was written or agreed to uh, in that assignment of contract. So again, those are the types of closings and a little bit about double closing. Uh, what is the best mail piece? Or what is the most cost-effective mail piece? Or what mail piece has the highest response? So these are questions you get all the time and you talk about it a lot in our business marketing is extremely important and we say that all the time it doesn't matter what business you're in you're in the business of marketing so sometimes i'm a bit cavalier when i say there is no silver bullet mail piece the fact of the matter is you just have to start doing it and that's what i want to emphasize or hopefully kind of emphasized in this is that you don't have to have all the pieces of the puzzle put together before you start you just have to start. So we use um, a lot of different types of mail pieces. We use postcards and we've used yellow letters and we've used um, letters with uh, little pennies or buttons in them. We've used, uh, we use letters with pictures on it and then with our business card in it, with magnets in it, uh, all sorts of things. And I honestly, we're, I'm not perfect at tracking our response rates and could always do better on our analytics. But the fact of the matter is, I don't see a huge difference between any mail piece. The market, and again, this is a St. Louis market, is pretty saturated. So there's not a huge difference in the mail piece per se. I think the list is what's important. So you want to make sure you develop or build a good niche list. 
but the mail piece again. So which one's the best? Which one's the most cost effective? I mean, don't mail people iPods, but uh, you know, other because again, that's a hundred bucks a person. I I always go for the cheapest. Um, so I always like to find the best deal on things, and uh, we use uh, Yellow Letter HQ. I'll put I'll throw the link in the show notes here as well, and I believe we're gonna have uh, the owner here coming on in an upcoming podcast as well. And he can talk a lot more about it with a lot more detail because, gosh, the volume that they're doing out of their mail center is unbelievable. I mean, ours is just scratching the surface. So, again, uh, just a couple of questions about wholesaling. Wanted to answer those. And, again, without Dave here, I know it's a little briefer episode. I uh, try to get uh, very, very to the point. Dave elaborates a lot more. So, again, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Please don't be shy. Send in your questions. Uh, Might be featured in one of our next episodes, our next uh, Q&A question podcast. I know I enjoy doing these. And, uh, again, looking forward to communicating with you guys. Hopefully seeing you guys at the REI Traction event next weekend. Check it out, www.reitraction.com. And we'll we'll leave you with the quotable quote for today, which is progress over perfection. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.